Matthew 28 and verse number 16. And it says this, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we can come before you and listen to your word. Father, we know that one of the ways that you love us is with your words. We know of your love because of your words, and we feel your love because of your words. You guide us and correct us and shape us with your words. I pray, Father, that you would shape our church with your words here. I pray that you would shape our individual lives. Lead us to a stronger belief that we can make a worldwide difference. I pray that you would help me, Lord, now as I preach. Help me to say that which you would have me say. I pray this would be a special help to each person. We love you. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know for sure that they've trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that truth would be very clear that they would receive you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This, these are the last words of Jesus. It's recorded five different times. It's recorded in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, in the book of John, and in the book of Acts. No matter which of the Gospels you had access to before they all came together, as we know them today as the Bible, right? You have to remember back in the first century church, they probably all didn't have each of these particular writings and Gospels. Um, And so... No matter which one you had access to, Jesus wanted you to know that he had a heart and a plan and a mission for the entire world. This was never meant to just be a Jewish religion or a Jewish gospel. This was never meant to be something that was just in the region of Judea and Samaria. This was never meant to just be uh, uh, something that people knew and believed just in that area or even in the Roman Empire, and it was never supposed to travel anywhere else. This is the message for the entire world. And so we're going to take a look and we're going to look at what is commonly known as the Great Commission. And so that would be contained in verses 18, 19, and 20. Now, it's important when we look at this, that it says in verse number 16, this was given to the 11 disciples. So we know that Judas, right? He fell away from Jesus. He was never saved. The Bible teaches that very clearly in the book of Acts. And he went out and he hanged himself because he was the one who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He wasn't here at this particular time. 
We know that later on, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he got saved several years after that, so he wouldn't have been here at this particular time. Um, but also we can see in this particular passage in verse number uh, 16 that the 11 disciples were there and they were waiting for, uh, for Jesus to come and meet with them and to speak with them. And once they had come in and gathered there, these were the leaders of the first church. These are the 11 men that um, were the, the, the apostles, the disciples of Christ. And so he gives this teaching to these 11. And so this is also meant for us. We can see here where this was given to the, to the leadership of the church. And then the church, the leadership of the church then came and brought this to the believers. And we can see this kind of played out on a world scale in the book of Acts, which we will not uh, take the time to look at this morning. Um, but this, these were, this was the last charge of Jesus before he went to heaven. This was repeated five times on five different occasions. And there were oftentimes distractions that would come in. Aren't there distractions that always come into our lives? Absolutely. And every time there was a distraction, Jesus would address the distraction quickly and then come right back to this. When we're thinking about what is the purpose of the church? Why are we here? What do we do? Is this a place for us to find faith? Yes. Is this a place for us to find emotional healing? Yes. Is this a place, in some cases, for people to find some kind of physical help? Or some kind of donation or some kind of financial help or some kind of, yes, this, we are supposed to be compassionate as Christians, for sure. Is this supposed to be a place where we come together as a community and we can celebrate just being together? Yes, this is one of those places. Is this a place where we can just simply learn God's word? Yes. But we can see here that the purpose that he's given to the church is for us to go and spread the gospel around the entire world. Okay? The purpose of the church is the Great Commission. The purpose of the church is the Great Commission. Notice how it says here in verse number 16. We'll just go through 16, 17, and then we'll get into the Great Commission in verse 18. So verse number 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. The first thing that we see that is great, but it's not the entire goal of the church. Okay. This is fantastic, but it's not the entire goal of the church is the simple fact that Jesus came and showed up to the place on time when he told them to meet him. Now, just think about that for a moment. Jesus had told them beforehand in Matthew chapter number 26, I will tell you a certain mountain to meet me on and go meet me on that mountain. But what happened in chapter number 26 and 27? He was crucified. You would think, well, he can't keep his word now. Well, that's not true because what happened in chapter number 28? Look at chapter 28 and verse number one. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake 
For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, notice here that the reason why Jesus can keep his word is because, yes, he died, but he also rose from the dead. Oftentimes people want to argue about what makes Christianity so special. There's a lot of things that make it so special. But fundamentally, we always go back to the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. Hey, he can keep his word to these 11 disciples because he rose from the dead. Friend, when you read your Bible, he can keep his word in your life because he rose from the dead. But the church is more than just a Bible study. The church is more than just a place where we can study and see and observe that Jesus keeps his word. It's profoundly important. It's, 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 it's extremely important for us to know and believe that Jesus keeps his word. But it's not, it's not just the entire goal to see that Jesus keeps his word. Notice also in chapter number 16, it says uh, that they went into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them in verse 17. And when they saw him, now two things happened. They worshiped him and some doubted. Now I love that part where it says some doubted. Don't you love that? I like that. Why? Well, because it shows that they were human. These apostles were not superhuman believers. They were just normal people. They doubted and they were looking right at him. Amen. Okay. Uh, Do you doubt? I do. Is doubt normal? Actually, listen, the only person that's never had any doubts is Jesus. Doubts are common. Doubts are normal. The problem is, is that sometimes we're, if we're not careful, we'll live in the doubt. We'll live right there in the doubt. And God wants us to have faith. He, doesn't, he says he, he, he doesn't want us to, to live in doubt. He wants us to live in faith. But also we can see here that they worshiped. It says uh, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Worship is foundational for the church to do together. Worship is desired by God. The Bible says in John 4 and verse number 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But the church does more than just worship. The church does more than just worship. The church does more than just singing songs of worship to the Lord. The Bible says in Exodus 34 and verse number 14, for thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. He desires your worship. And that is why we come together primarily on Sundays to worship the Lord. We worship the Lord when we sing together. Psalm 66 and verse 4, all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. 
The sacrifice of coming together and gathering on Sundays is profoundly important because it takes our eyes off of our problems, takes our eyes off of ourself, and it lifts our eyes up to him and it allows us to worship him. It shows us the worth of God and it shows us that he is worthy of our praise and worthy of our faith. It is important for us to worship. When they saw Jesus on the mountain, he kept his word. Oh my goodness, praise God, he's alive. He's here. He keeps his word. What an amazing God. He rose from the dead, just like he said. He kept his appointment, just like he said. What a God. This is amazing. What was their reaction? They worshiped. They worshiped as they should have. But notice that in the worship, as they all worshiped him and bowed down and worshiped him. Let me just say that worship is an intentional thing. If we're not careful, if we do not worship God, we will end up worshiping ourselves. We will bow down to our own self. Most oftentimes people do not turn to some other kind of religion and they bow down and worship some other God or goddess, even though some people do. In today's modern culture, what we lift up the highest is self. You need to find yourself. You need to love yourself. You need to follow yourself. And it's like we've taken all the attributes of God and we put them into self. And we will easily slide into that if we don't come and gather and intentionally worship God. We sing songs about him. We sing songs about what he's done. We sing songs, the Bible says they worship him in spirit and in truth. That means from your heart to him. They need to follow the truth. We don't invent things about Jesus. We go straight to what the truth says and we worship him according to his word. Songs need to be scriptural. Worship needs to be scriptural. It's not something that we need to invent something out of our own brain. It's not wrong to be creative as long as it falls in line with what the Bible says about Jesus. They worshiped him. Let me just encourage you to fall down and worship Jesus. You're saying right now? I'm saying in your heart, have that spirit of worship towards Christ. We are here to worship him. There needs to be times of private worship. There should be specific times throughout the week where you worship Jesus. Sing songs to him. Tell him. You are good. Thank you for being good. Thank you for being good to me. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for saving me. Gratitude is a form of worship, and that can be an entire lesson on worship. We're not going to take the time. But notice, Jesus didn't say, hey, see how I kept my word? Let's stop right now. Let's just focus on this. He didn't say, hey, I'm here. You're worshiping me. That's good. Let's stop right now and let me just go up into heaven without giving the great commission. He didn't do that. He didn't take the time to address their doubts even in this particular passage. Other times he does talk about their doubts and he corrects them for their lack of faith, which he is, he should do that. He loves Not to correct us because he's an angry God. He loves to correct us to help us and get up so that we can walk in the victory of faith. 
But notice that the primary function of the church is not for us to sit there and just study the Bible together and, and, and talk about how he's fulfilled all these prophecies. Uh, the primary function of the church is not just for us to worship, even though we do and we should. The primary function of the church is not just to address the doubts that we have in our personal lives and the doubts that we have as a church and the doubts that we have about the culture. And let's talk about all the sad things and all the things that make me sad and all the questions. And we should and we can and we and we need to have practical teaching like we had in the first class where we talked about marriage. We need stuff like that. That's so important. But the church is not meant to be just a marriage counseling center. You can see here where at any one of these points, it would be very easy for us to get stuck on one of them. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go ahead. And, I, and, I, and he accepted their worship. He recognized the doubt. But what did he do about that? He's like, okay. I'm going to give you something to focus on. Eleven guys. Now, some people think that this is also the time where the 500 that saw him at one time, that they saw him here on this mountain too. That the 11 were there, but also the 500 brethren that it speaks of in 1 Corinthians 15, that they saw him here as well. It doesn't say that specifically in this passage, but it could have happened. And either way, the fact is, is that these 11 disciples had just come out of a traumatic experience. They saw Jesus hanging on the cross and dying, right? They saw him being taken down. They saw that he was buried. He rose again from the dead and they didn't believe him. And they didn't believe him and they didn't believe him and they didn't believe him. Is the church for people who have gone through traumatic experiences? Yes. Is it for emotional healing? Yes. Is it only supposed to be that? No. So what is the purpose? What is the purpose for the church? He gives a very specific purpose. It says in verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me. Isn't it interesting that he starts out before he tells them what to do? He doesn't overwhelm them with trying to figure out how they're going to do it. He's like, first of all, before I give you this amazing commandment, the, the word commission means a charge or an order, right? A mandate. Like this is your job. That basically is what he's trying to say. A commission. Before he does that, he says, I want you to realize that I have all the power that you need. So right there, immediately, there, should, there is a connection to Jesus in a church that makes the Great Commission of great importance. There is a greater connection to Jesus than worship can bring. A greater connection to Jesus than just addressing the emotional needs and the doubts and fears that people have. There's a greater connection to Jesus than one who can just say, let's, let's talk about the prophecies, past prophecies or future prophecies. It doesn't matter either one. Notice that just before we continue on. Look at, look at Acts 1 and verse 8 with me. Acts 1 and verse 8. This is a pretty common thing that happens nowadays too with all the crazy stuff going on in the world. 
Acts 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They said, is, is now the time where you're going to set up your kingdom on earth? Isn't that kind of what we want to know? In, in, our, in our New Testament vernacular, this is kind of the Jewish perspective. But the New Testament church perspective would be, are you going to come back? Is the rapture happening now? Are we going to heaven now? Right? Isn't that the question? Don't a lot of people kind of want to know what's going to happen at the end of days? Do people have those questions nowadays? Is it wrong to ask those questions? No, because he writes about it in scripture. Is that supposed to be the primary focus of the church? No. Okay, notice what he does. He says, verse seven, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Right? Let's talk about the end of days. Let's talk about prophecy, Jesus. He's like, we'll, we'll get to that. But let me tell you what you need to focus on right now. What you need to focus on is knowing the gospel and getting the gospel out. So if we go back to chapter number 28, Matthew 28, and verse number 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has the power that we need to, 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 to accomplish in life what he wants us to accomplish. The primary purpose of Jesus leaving us here and not immediately taking us to heaven is that he wants us to be a witness of himself. He wants us to give the gospel out to others. And it says specifically, so Jesus has the power. We need to be connected to his power. We cannot do verse number 19 and, 19, and verse number 20 of teaching all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe if we're not connected to Christ. How do we connect to Christ? How do we connect to his power? We connect through obedience and through prayer. It's primarily through yielding ourselves to him and coming to him and saying, through prayer, help me to do what you want me to do. We're committed to doing it. Let me just mention this before we go on. It can be very confusing sometimes when people come into church and they start getting into church because some people maybe want to pitch like getting into religion and I don't like that word, but following God, it's like you've got this power and God does amazing things and you can kind of look and see, oh, God's just going to, he's just going to wreck shop. He's going to fix everything and everything's going to be amazing. And it's just going to instantly be fixed. Some people maybe even want to like pitch it that way. But we can see here from the passage, he's saying all power is given unto me. There is this dependent relationship. We're dependent on him, but not only dependent on him, we're dependent on him. He's going to help us to do what he wants us to do. 
We've got to ask ourselves, am, in the thing that I'm wanting God to do in my life, is it really fall in line with this Great Commission thing? Is it only going to fix my temporal life right here? Or is it going to give me an opportunity to give the gospel to somebody? We've got to ask that question. He says in verse 19, go. Jesus has the power for us to go. Oh, there's this person in my life. I think I should give them the gospel. Ask Jesus for help. Ask him for the power. Not like a Marvel comic power thing where you kind of like, God, I have a really cool suit on some of the suits are weird, by the way. Can we, can we agree on that? Are you guys, you guys with me? Are we good? Nods? What does it mean when, when Jesus says, he's going to give us the power. All power is given unto me. What does it mean? Does it mean we're going to have like, you know, those weird lights that come out of our hands when we do this? Believe on Jesus! That'd be awesome. That's just not the way it works. What does it mean when he's talking about his power? It means we can, I remember this guy, this was weird. And he was like, it was all heart. And this happened years ago. And he came up to me and, and he really believed that this was weird. He came up to me and, and I was in Bible college at the time. And he was, again, a Christian, but he had some different ideas about God's power in convincing people that this was the truth. And he's like, hold out your hand. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Hold out my hand. I'm like, all right, here we go. So he's like, and he puts his hand over the top of mine without touching it. You feel that warmth. <laughs> Can I say no? I mean, no, I don't feel the warmth. That's not the way the power of God works. The power of God is to give you the courage to say what you need to say in the moment. And the power of God is the fact that when you say what you need to say, which is God's word in that moment, that other person is actually listening. And whether or not they accept it and receive it for themselves, that's their choice. God's power never forces us to do something. It never forces us to do anything. If you have the power of God, then whenever you preach the gospel, they'll be saved. That's just not the way it works. It means that you have the power to go. Sometimes it's just going over to the break room and saying, hey, and telling. Oh, perfect. And put that one on airplane mode. That's why. That's why we do it. We didn't do it on that. Okay? So the power of Christ is for us to go. Power of Christ is for us to go and say what we need to say. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Okay, the word teach all nations means it doesn't mean to sit in a classroom necessarily. It means to make disciples. It means to make disciples of every nation, to make followers of Jesus those who believe in him and trust in him for their salvation and those who, 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 who follow him and they believe in him, the next natural step, the next biblical step is for them to be baptized. Okay, baptism is identifying with Jesus Christ, just like I have the wedding ring on that identifies me as a married man in our culture, right? Not every culture does that, but in, in Western culture, we do that, 
right? This doesn't make me married. It just is kind of an outward sign showing everybody that I'm married. In the same way, baptism doesn't make us saved, right? Being baptized doesn't save us. It just shows everybody that I identify with Christ. Baptism was actually very common in the days of Jesus. It wasn't just for Christians. It was for whenever somebody chose to become a part of a particular religion, then they would be baptized. If they wanted to become part of the the Judaism, they would be baptized. And there's even a passage in the book of Acts where they ask the question. Let's go ahead and let's take a look at that. We're almost done with our lesson for today. Let's take a look at Acts 19 and verse 3. There was a man who came before Jesus. His name was John the Baptist. And he preached that Jesus would be coming. Jesus hadn't started preaching just yet. He was kind of the the forerunner. He was the announcer. Okay, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And let's look at verse number three. And so this is the Apostle Paul. And he asked this question and he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is there a, a biblical instance when someone got rebaptized? Right here, we can see that. Okay, why? Because they were not baptized because they believed on Jesus. They baptized because they believed John the Baptist. Specifically, the doctrine is important. When I get baptized biblically, it means I agree with what this church is saying. I agree with the doctrinal position of this church. If I get baptized in a Catholic church, what is my religion? Catholic. And so on and so forth. And that's why we get baptized is to be able to identify with a set of beliefs. We can see that scripturally. Okay. Uh, And then the last thing that we see here in verse number 20 is teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Teaching them to observe all things. God's plan for the church is to go and share the gospel across the entire world. And we'll get into the more details of that plan in the following weeks. But this is his plan, to make disciples of Jesus Christ across the entire world. And even in our group, we can see So many different countries, ethnicities, languages are represented here. God has been doing this for the last 2,000 years. And we are a a, just a slight little sample size, if you will, of God doing that very thing. Isn't that amazing? Right? And it is our joy and our privilege as a church to basically pay that forward and to take what God has given us and to get involved in his original plan. Are we going to continue to worship God? Yes. Are we going to stop at worshiping him? No. Is that the only thing that we should be doing when we come together? No. Pastor, what about my emotional needs? That's so important. That needs to be addressed. 
He talked to them about their doubts and their fears. And that's so important. But notice how he addressed it. And then he moves right on and says, okay, now let's get involved with something that is so much bigger than you. And let's go ahead and work at getting the gospel out. Is prophecy important? It's profoundly important. Do we need to stop at prophecy? And that's the only thing that we study. No, because that alone is not the purpose of the church. And that's not the purpose for the Christian. It is to go. It is to make disciples of all nations. It's to baptize those who believe in Jesus Christ. And then it is teaching them to observe all things. Teaching them. Taking the time to teach and explain to them everything that Jesus has taught us in his word. And listen, not only just the knowledge, but notice what Jesus said here. Teaching them to observe. This is one reason why we come to church. It's not just to learn more. It's to learn more so that we can do more. It's so that we can apply it. Teaching without application is just knowledge. Just stuffing more knowledge in our brains. And that is not the plan of Christ. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.